Welcome to the Warrior to Warrior podcast, storytelling and skills to invite present-centered awareness where we can remember we're so much more than anxiety and stronger than we think we are. It's pretty likely that you know somebody who is struggling with their mental health right now. And so I wanted to record an episode about loving somebody with mental health challenges. And to do that, I brought somebody in who is pretty familiar with loving somebody who has their struggles with disordered anxiety and panic. And that would be my husband of the last 24 years, Cliff Dumas. Cliff and I first met when we were both in the radio industry and he wasn't aware at first about my chronic panic attacks and how much space fear took in my mind. But once I felt safe and vulnerable to share with him, um, he knew after that and then had the experience pretty quickly of what it was like to live with that kind of terror. One of the most important pieces of this is if we are challenged with our mental health, it's so important to have somebody that we feel safe enough with to share our entire experience not necessarily because we need somebody to relate, but because we need to get it out. It's pretty typical to hold on to these challenges, to the kind of thoughts that we're having, to the kind of actions that we're taking in order to feel safe, to have a lot of shame around that. And if we have somebody that we can confess to, that, that we can share with, and then that person can receive how we're feeling without judgment can provide that soft place to land that can be everything that in itself can be so healing because it airs out the secrets that we're keeping and it helps to diminish shame and if we don't have shame then we can become more open to compassion for ourselves and to understand that everybody's on a spectrum when it comes to our mental health and that most importantly, we're not alone. And from that place, it becomes so much easier to advocate for ourselves when it comes to getting better and stepping into the life that we are worthy of. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with this guy that I love more now than I did when we first met. The Warrior to Warrior podcast. We'll be right back. This episode is supported by Healing for Healthcare Workers, a therapeutic online program designed to provide a soft place to land for wrung out healthcare workers who need deep relaxation and tools to reclaim their spark. The health crisis revealed deep problems within the industry that cares for our sick and dying. Change may be slow to come, but we can care for those who care for us now. You have the opportunity to make a difference for those working on the ground who don't have the privilege of looking away. You're invited to sponsor at least one healthcare worker to attend our three-month container of support, skills, and sharing to soothe the battered nervous systems and broken hearts of our nurses, support staff, EMTs, clinicians, and more. Healthcare workers and U.S. residents, head to my website at amypruitt.com and click on the Work With Me page. Canadians who want to sponsor a Canadian healthcare worker, head to lisadumas.com and click on the Practice With Me button. Thank you for supporting the healing of a healthcare worker and first responders. We can never thank you enough. So it's probably been about 21 years since we've talked into microphones together. Has it really been that long? 
Well, think about it. Yeah. I left our morning show that we were doing in Albuquerque, New Mexico when I was pregnant because I had one of those wonderful pregnancies where I never stopped being ill. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so it was really hard to actually be at work and be well enough to talk into a microphone. So a lot has changed since then. We'll go back to what brought us to that morning show in Albuquerque because we first met at a radio station. And by the time I met you, I was probably several months away from my very first panic attack, but you didn't know that. No. So all you knew about me, I think when we first met in Toronto, is that I was the new hire Mm -hmm. and I did the evening and weekend. And I have a wonderful first memory of meeting you, actually. So obviously, I knew who you were, because back in the day, the Cliff Dumas morning show on that radio station in Toronto, your face was all over buses. And there was big billboards of you all over town. So I knew who you were. And I knew that you were the morning show of the station that I was about to work at. But um, why don't you tell how we first actually met without meeting, which I guess is kind of interesting when you're both in radio and we met, it was just our voices that met yeah, <laughs> before yeah. we met. Well, I, 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 was, I was driving, I, I remember driving on the QEW, which is a big highway in Toronto. On a Saturday. Saturday afternoon. And I, I was listening to the radio station and you came on and I was just so impressed. I, I just thought, wow, this, this person is so talented. And I think being the morning person at a radio station, the responsibility is to be a leader within the team. Mm-hmm. And I thought, uh, well, I'm just I'm going to call. Which and you you had a very special phone number, which was called the hotline. And when it flashed, it usually meant something was wrong. Yeah. If you yeah, let's describe that better. If yeah. you are a broadcaster, and if you're on the air, I don't know if it's still like this, but if you're on the air in the control room. And the hotline goes, there's like this strobe light that goes off so you don't miss it. And usually the hotline is a call from your program director. And actually, I'm so glad that you brought that up because I was experiencing so much anxiousness that nobody knew about. And I still meet people now that are like, I can't believe that you were, you know, experiencing that much anxiety back then, you know, because I know that from the outside, it didn't look that way. But that hotline, yes, that actually caused me so much anxiety. And I'll talk more about that. But yeah, continue this. Well, you know, having said that, I, I can I can totally see what I know now of when that thing would flash. Your heart stops for a second. Because <laughs> what, did you know, what did I what did I do? <laughs> I, did I break some kind of FCC or in Canada the CRTC regulations or something? God, why do we go right away to you're the worst case scenario, yeah. right? So I heard your voice and I thought I'm going to call. And so I, uh, you picked up and I said, "Hey, it's it's me." And I just wanted to say that uh, you are the best sounding announcer on the radio. <laughs> you, um, well, you said female announcer. I, I did. I, I back in the day, I probably wouldn't choose that. I know. Today, Isn't that funny. But um, even even now, it's like that was authentic. And I, I think even today, there's certainly a difference between men and women on the air, um, personality, skill set, all of that. And it's not a gender thing as it is uh, an enjoyable listening opportunity for me. And, and I was just blown away. So there, there was no intention behind that call other I than believe just that. to say that. Right? Oh, no, I believe that. Yeah. And you were just so respected. And that really made my day because I was so green. I had 
just arrived at the radio station just a few weeks before that. I was probably 24 or 25. So I just turned 50. Well, this is 25 years ago now, and you're 11 years older than me. We'll get to that. (laughs) It's requiring me to do math, which I was probably mid-30s. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I remember when we officially started dating, you were 37. So. Okay. But. Doesn't seem so bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's not. (laughs) Go me. It's not at all. It was absolutely meant to be. But yeah, when you, that was the first time that we actually met without meeting one another and you made my day um, because I was so green at the time and I was nervous all of the time, more nervous than anybody would have known because- No idea. Well, and I think that at the time, management and coworkers and everything would have understood that, okay, she's just a little bit nervous, but they wouldn't have understood the severe panic that was going on behind the scenes that literally, especially on a Saturday when nobody else was in the studio, I was there alone. Mm-hmm. Like, what if I had one of these panic attacks and, and what if what if I died? I understand now looking back that it's irrational, but in the moment you have such a deep sense of terror and doom when your body is going through all of these different really scary symptoms, like your heart starts beating out of control. You you just can't even imagine a heart is supposed to beat that fast. Just the perspiration and the trembling, like it's an event that happens and you feel like this can't be happening unless death is imminent. That that wow. is what it feels like. And yeah. when you're on the air and you're the and you are responsible for this radio station to continue, yeah. I look back and I am just so surprised at the things that I did do. It's almost like I've said this before here, there was always two forces at play. There was the force that really wanted something for myself and was just so passionate about music back in that day and and loved the idea of radio and being a part of it. And then there was the part of me that was so terrified. I really was just coping. Like I was doing everything that I could do, but then when I was off the air, it was a lot of just trying not to be alone and doing everything that I could not to be with my own body and my own thoughts because that was just terrifying. So, But you chose a profession that is in media and puts you in front of thousands of people on a, on a daily, hundreds of thousands of people at a station in Toronto. I, do you remember the first time that panic attack kicked in? Well, it was all to do with putting myself in these in these situations because yeah. it was before I moved to Toronto. Before I moved to Toronto, I was in the Edmonton market. Mm-hmm. I also wasn't treating myself very well. And one of the ways that I was coping is that I was over drinking. So mm-hmm. I was going out most nights and drinking lots of beer because after those first few sips, it was like, huh, oh, I finally felt things. I finally felt calm. Yeah. And that's what my practices in meditation gives me now. But back then, you know, I had no idea. I also wouldn't have called it alcohol abuse. Everybody was doing it. It it was a way for me to just feel calm. And, and actually, it helped me to see, well, maybe, maybe this, there isn't anything wrong with me if it can change when I'm somehow calm. But that was just like an inkling of idea. Okay. But I was in Edmonton and I wasn't treating myself very well. And we do know now that, you know, abusing alcohol, it is going to create that imbalance in the nervous system that can create panic attacks. And that was just one of the pieces of the puzzle for me. I mean, it's certainly in my family and 
Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different reasons, iron deficiencies. I mean, just all of that was going on. But I had a legitimate instance where I was just really nervous, where um, I had this impending feeling of being fired from a radio station because the program director had left me like this angry note on the door. This is before email and all of that, that I had dropped like some Canadian content. And it just felt so scary the way that it was done, just like sort of left me this nasty note. And it just made me so nervous all weekend long. And even though I was going out with friends and I was trying to distract myself and I was drinking beer, I was just nervous, nervous, nervous. And it was that Sunday before, so major Sunday scaries before heading in on Monday and having to kind of face the music and thinking maybe I was going to be fired and all of that. And even looking back at that, that was the end of the world for me, right? And now we have a 20-year-old and I certainly wouldn't want her to be terrified all weekend long and just just because of some boss. And I hadn't done anything wrong. No, but anyway. No, no. And let's put that, I guess, into perspective because it can relate to anything that anybody does incorrectly at their job. Mm-hmm. And when you're faced with management who don't know how to manage or inspire and create terror and lead by fear, which is the management that you and I dealt with. And, and, and maybe at certain points over our career, I've been lucky. You know, I've worked with some pretty good management over 30 plus years in, in broadcasting. But you're kind of hitting the nail on the head there. Mm-hmm. So everybody is so different. And this is one of the things that I admire so much about you that attracted me to you is that you have this real core grounded, steady nature where things don't land on you the way that they used to land on me because of being more anxious. And I have uncovered that I definitely have this core wound of shame, which causes me to have issues with authority figures and causes me to feel as though I'm always doing something wrong. And if I was really old enough or mature enough at that time to follow those thoughts through, maybe it wouldn't have felt like so much the end of the world. But for me, Mm. it it, it's almost like a part of me saw it as life or death. And um, and you were it, alone to deal with it too. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. But you see, I think that goes back to the very thing that has always pissed me off about, you know, the wrong management is because there's a responsibility there. And, and what could the right management skills have done for you in a situation like that or anybody that has anxiety to, to, to deal with? And I think that about our kid going through whatever she's going to go through faced with somebody who's like that, you know, where she doesn't have the the, the strength yet to, to manage through it and will internalize all of these things and f- probably feel the same way. Yeah. I, I feel I feel bad for anybody that has to go through that. And, and angry at the level of training that most managers don't have to get to in order to be in a position that they're in. <laughs> You're already just also conveying why you were just such the perfect person for me. I mean, you you definitely are somebody who wants to take care of. The, the, the first panic attack happened when at the end of that really scary weekend, I just think my nervous system had had enough. Everything I've learned about the way our nervous systems work now um, kind of give me the information that it was almost just like a, a blow. Like I was just carrying so much fear. I was just full in, in full fight or flight and had been for some time being so afraid every time I was on the air, really, um, almost like living life on the edge of my seat. 
And then I've, I've written about this and I've talked about this here, you know, that, that panic attack was so intensely scary. And then the moment that you have one, and that one took me to the emergency room, you just start living in fear of having the next one. And then pretty quickly after that, I was hired for that radio station in Toronto, that the one we're speaking about where I met you. And I was you know, living in a great area downtown. I was taking a subway to come to work every single day. And pretty much consistently, it was, what if I have a panic attack here? What if I have a panic attack here? So from the moment that I would wake up from finally, blessedly going to sleep because I was afraid of having a panic attack alone in my bed in my little apartment in Toronto mm -hmm. every single night, if I didn't have somebody, you know, over until the very last minute, <laughs> um, from the moment that I woke up until the moment that I went to sleep, unless I was just really distracted by work or friends, and I loved my work then, so it could distract me. Always in the background was, what if I have a panic attack? What if I have a panic attack? And gosh, looking back now, you know, especially everything that I know about how important it is to be present and how presence is so healing, I just was never, ever present. So fast forward, we have that meet, but that doesn't mean anything for us. I mean, you're you're living your life. To me, you are a colleague. I've seen your picture. Um, I'm not your type. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> Bald dude, and uh, you were a, you were a hair uh, person. Or I did. I that. did like. I did like the guys with the long hair back in those days. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. And so. No, it wasn't like, you know, love at first sight when I saw your face or when I heard your voice. What that was for me was it was just such a kind thing for you to do. It just it really did uh, make me feel so, so good. It was just what I needed because we weren't really getting that kind of validation from management at that time. That place was certainly run like the announcers better not get too big for their riches, you know, it, mm -hmm. You know, I needed yeah. that kind of building up. So that was wonderful. And then I think that we it took a while for us to finally meet because I was there at the opposite time you were. I was coming in in the evening and the weekends and you were working at five, you know, till 11 or whatever. But I think we finally met at a meeting. I know it, it just took a few months. And then I think the first time we actually got to know one another more than colleagues is you said you'd had heard I was a runner yeah, and you asked if I maybe want to go for a run sometime. Yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> you quickly found out I wasn't a runner. <laughs> and, I, you know, I, I, I did fitness stuff. I, I boxed and things like that when I was younger and did that for fit. But I wasn't. My idea of exercise was not, you know, to go for a jog. Well, what was behind you asking me that? So we'd seen I each other. I didn't realize you were a marathon runner I when I asked you. I was not at that time, but we'd seen each other just a few times. And then you said like, hey, yeah, I heard that you're a runner. We should go for a run sometime. What was what was behind that anyway? I mean, what I don't know if I've ever asked you, like what wow. specifically was your intention? Was that your way of asking me on a date without asking me on a date? Or Probably. Or were I mean you were I wasn't dating a lot back. I, I was friends, but I, I I didn't have my game on for for sure when it came to asking people out. I, at least I don't think so. I thought well, you didn't really ever have to because at the time you know you were a couple years single. Yeah, and 
Um, you know, your face was on buses and billboards, so <laughs> <laughs> you were in demand, I think. <laughs> uh, I'm still uh, trying to get over the it wasn't love at first sight comment that you, <laughs> you made a while, a while ago. And I want to know when it was that, that you overcame the need to have a guy with well, hair. Well, what was it for you that made you ask me to go for uh, a run? Instantly. I, I. What? So it was love at first sight for you? Was it love or lust? Well. A little bit. Well, you know what? I, there was certainly uh, like and love quickly because, I mean, anybody I think that gets to know you and has conversation and gets to know your spirit and, and how believable and authentic you are, uh, they can't help but fall in love with you. Oh, it's, my it's, gosh. Uh, no, I, and wow. So we the, should do podcasts more often. I never hear this stuff from Well, what's, what's, what's actually interesting for me in this, and you know, we've been married almost 25 years, but having this conversation... And I, I'm aware of all these things that obviously have happened to you over the years, and we've talked about them, and I was there for them all. But sitting down and hearing you articulate it back to me in those moments, I mean, it, it just has brought them all back. And it's almost, my God, I didn't, not only did I not know what it was you were dealing with, because I wasn't educated enough back then, and I do now, because having seen you go through it and having uh, seen both our, our daughters go through it, it's like... I wish I knew then what I know now in being able to help you manage through it. That's why I wanted you to come onto the show, because even though neither one of us knew what we were dealing with at that time, when we finally went for that run together, and mm -hmm. yes, I recognize that you weren't a runner. Right. And How long then, did I last, by the way? Like a block and a half I think, before I said, do you want to walk? And then it ended up with drinks and pasta back at your beautiful condo. And then that was really the beginning of a long and windy road yep. that ended up with us being together. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's for another show, is <laughs> getting more deeply into those stories. Yeah, but There's some detours along the way, for there, sure. There were. Yeah. When we finally did you know, decide that we're going to be together, and we got close, and I felt vulnerable enough to share with you, and probably I would have had to have shared it with anybody that I was seeing frequently, yeah. that, okay, this is a reality of my life, because it's not all fun and games. It's just all of a sudden we would have been sitting there together, and I would have sat up and, and, and said, oh my my heart oh my yeah. my chest um i start to tremble i i would start to like have one of these episodes and so of course i had to share with you or it feels embarrassing to talk about now or i wouldn't want to go somewhere without you and so when i look back at our relationship it was so beautiful to fall in love with you because i was a person that was seeking a partner but if I'm going to be honest with myself, it was also probably really relieving because you were and are so steadying and so grounded. And I guess, you know, I didn't know anything about anxiety then, but I guess you would have been what would be referred to as like a safe person. You are my safe person. And even now when I do meditations um, where you visualize the person that makes you feel the safest, I'll bring your face to mine. Like mm. if I'm scared on an airplane or something, I'll bring your face to mine and okay, I wow. can feel that in my nervous system. So right away you were that mm. for me. And I'm so glad of all the development that we've done over the years because 
I'll totally admit there's a little bit of codependence in that as well. And so I'm curious when you look back at that, because we didn't know what we were dealing with. You just knew I was afraid a lot. I didn't want to be alone. I thought something bad was going to happen to me. It would come and go for sure. You know, I wouldn't drive or I wouldn't want to go to a movie without you. If we were at a party, I would be so, so, so nervous. And we were public figures at the time. So that was really hard too. So sometimes a little bit, you know, we'd be hosting events or be a little bit at the center of something. And I would be so completely panicked on the inside. I mean, we had to host things. And I mean, I admit it, I would have to have a little bit of liquid courage to get through some of the things that we did. One of the many ways that you were helpful, and this is what I want to talk about, because I'm sure people wonder when they love somebody who's having panic attacks or is so afraid or doesn't want to be alone, like, what's the best thing to do? And first of all, you never seemed to succumb to the fear with me. Like, you didn't get afraid with me. You always felt so sure that I was okay, and you empowered me to go and really get checked out, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't know if other people have felt this way. I mean, I certainly know that many of my clients have felt this way, especially there wasn't the information about anxiety that there is now. It is a scary concept to go and get help because you, it's, I was almost afraid of what is going to be found. Like why out of the blue am I having this pain in my chest? Why Am I just trembling? Why am I thinking that I'm going to die all the time? Like going in and finding out what's wrong with you. Like, what if you are, Mm -hmm. you know, what if you are? So that was really scary, but you really encouraged me to go to specialists. And we really, we had every test under the book. Do you remember when I was wearing a heart monitor for those couples? I was in Albuquerque, right? No, we were still in Toronto. We were in our condo. Yes, we had, uh, maybe we were engaged or... I just gotten married. I wore the heart monitor way back then. And um, that was fine. But throughout the years, I have gone in and gotten my heart checked. And I've well, had... I don't blame you. Your heart's racing. and you, you That's the first thing I would be thinking about if all of a sudden, my for no reason, seemingly, or intellectually, you kind of go, okay, I'm just sitting here. Why is my heart screaming now? And I can mm-hmm. feel it in my chest. And I, I think you, you're crazy sensitive to every body function. I am. Right. Which is the case sometimes with people who are prone to anxiousness because it's the people who are really sensitive, which is, that's a whole other thing that you really had to contend with over the years. So just back to empowering me by going to doctors, that's part of the healing of anxiety is it's, it's hearing especially by authority figures, it's hearing that you're okay. Mm -hmm. It's hearing that everything is okay over and over again. And it's, you're just kind of training your mind that maybe I am okay. And meanwhile, you're recognizing that, okay, well, these episodes aren't killing me, but there were certainly other ways that I feel like anxiety was making its mark on my life and then your life and in our relationship. So you bring up sensitivity. I know it wasn't easy for you. The sensitivity that you love in me and you love my emotional sensitivity and how, you know, I brought those colors to your life Mm -hmm. because 
maybe talking about emotions wasn't so comfortable for you. And I, I kind of forced that to happen for us. So, so we've been able to have a really deep and vulnerable relationship together. But that sensitivity, I think, was also hard for you because before I knew anything about the nature of the mind and that thoughts are habits, like I was just besieged by thoughts that things were going wrong. So that maybe people at work, you know, that I wasn't measuring up somehow in work and in friendships. And I would really ruminate and obsess about that. And I think that got hard for you to hear my consistent worries that this person thought this about me or this boss thought this about me or this coworker. It's like I couldn't let myself just be free and happy and confident. There was, I was always somehow convinced that I was making mistakes. Yeah. It's, it's helplessness more than hard, I think. Um, yeah, you, you wanted me to just be able to get over it. Yeah, yeah, and that's part of my. I, I, I like fixing things. I think that's mm -hmm. that's my thing to overcome. Something's wrong. Let me fix that. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the journey to get to a point where uh, all I'm doing is holding space and listening is is something I still am challenged to do. So, isn't it strange thinking back? I, I just remember feeling. Uh, sad and empathetic to watch you go through it. And the only thing I could do, because my, my brain set, it tends to be, um, it zeroes in on, on proof and reality and, and uh, boxes checked. Yeah. That, okay, we've had you tested. Your heart is strong as a horse. You're a marathon runner. It's not that. So I could feel safe in knowing that um, and trying to encourage you past an episode because that wasn't the case, even though your heart was pounding out of your chest. Um, and yeah, you know, it's funny when I, when you, you bring this up when we start mentioning times, I remember having to leave theaters and, and mm -hmm. uh, being in a crowded space and, and uh, holding s space for you because something's happening, yet we've got to go on stage or in front of a television <laughs> camera, you know, and it's... Uh, that was the most important thing to me, though. It didn't matter. All the other stuff, that's just stuff we do. You know, in that moment, you're dealing with it, and it's the most terrifying thing in your life, and it's overcoming you. So that's the most important thing uh, to me. You were really instrumental, I think, in me healing is, again, you didn't get sucked down into the fear with me. Right. You would just be this steady anchor of strength always ready to to hug me and that's so important you know when a person feels like they want to be touched to have that kind of physical touch because that is going to be bringing those chemicals into your body that are going to be calming and making you feel more connected and more safe so you were always ready with that and you always believed in me like I could feel your solid belief that it was going to be okay mm -hmm. And so I never panicked and probably, you know, it's, it's not our story to tell, so we don't go too much into our kiddo, but I can tell that your presence is also the safest um, and probably feels more safe than mine because even though I can be a really steady force, especially with my practices now, yep. there might be that, just that sensitivity feeling that she's getting from me. Whereas, yeah, that she might be feeling my worry. Whereas I just never felt 
worry for you. And I know that you're very stoic and you now that I know you so much better all of these years later, probably you were worried, but just to me, you had a strength that was kind of catching. Like I started to believe in myself because I could tell you believed in me so much more. And then also life forces you out of anxiousness. So do you remember it kind of came on again when we were living in San Diego and here we are mentioning all these different places that we've lived. Yes, if you've never known anything about my story or about Cliff's story, um, we we met in Toronto, we did a morning show together in Albuquerque, we had our kiddo, we went back to Calgary, we got this amazing opportunity in San Diego, that's basically where we raised our kid. And then we went back to um, British Columbia and Vancouver, Canada, where I was born. I, I had sort of a resurgence a few years after Grace, because when I was pregnant with Grace, I, I, I was anxious, but I was taking it easy. I wanted to create a calm home for her, but it was really the moment that we first met her that I realized, oh, I have got to be better mm -hmm. for you. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, that I was think it. The moment they put her put her on your chest mm -hmm. when she was born you could just there was a there was a transformation when that happened yeah, yeah. i it, i wasn't going to let anxiety win and we had kind of been in this push pull push pull where i felt like i had pushed it down for a little bit with your help mm -hmm. and then it would always come back because it never really left you know until yoga and i'll i'll get to that until that kind of change where i really started to learn about the mind and the nervous system it was always in the background. I was never fully free of it. So this is years now that we're talking about that that I was just, fear was just right there, right there. And really a lot of our life was just distracting me from that. Um, but I remember when we were in San Diego and I was going through about where driving was scary for me. And I didn't like having to drive somewhere without you. But then I have a bonus daughter, your first daughter, mm -hmm. and she's living in Toronto. She's she's 28 now. And she was flying to visit us. And you could not drive to LA to pick her up from the airport. You couldn't. You were working. Like there was no other option. I remember like <laughs> I probably begged you for another option. Yeah. But there was no other option, and I had to. So I had to fight through this fear of feeling like I was going to have a panic attack for two hours in the car. Oh, let's be honest. It's more like three and a half from, <laughs> from San Diego to LA in traffic. So yeah, I mean, that was... <sighs> but that was more important than my fear, is hmm. being strong for that kiddo who was coming to visit us, being strong in the car, and... When I did that, that was me showing myself that I was stronger than I thought I was. Wow. And then it wasn't too long after that where I walked into my first yoga class. And that was really the idea that had been in my head since the moment that I met Grace. When I had that thought of, okay, I have to do something once and for all to not be living with this anymore because I don't want to give you half of myself. I don't want you to pick up on the fear that's always there. And I'd heard for years that this practice called yoga, which had never been on my radar before. I didn't grow up with any kind of religion or, or sp spiritual 
ideology at all, but it was just, I just kept hearing information like yoga, yoga. Mm -hmm. And then of course we're living in San Diego, very close to Encinitas. It's part of San Diego County, which was North America's yoga capital at the time. And I was just really lucky enough to walk into the right studio and then have an experience where you are just so forced to be present and you're also breathing and your body is moving in unison with other bodies. And now having you know studied what's going on in a yoga room for these past 13 years, I know how that can really soothe and heal your nervous system. And I then I remember when you came home from that mm-hmm. that yoga class, it was the world had changed. It changed yeah. really quickly for me. It did, yeah. And I think that's part of it too, is a person who wants to heal themselves from disordered anxiety has to be just so ready, has to be ready and open and receptive and already have a belief that things can change. I had a very strong intention that I wanted it to change. The fact that I was free from thought for 90 minutes and the beautiful rest that comes at the end of that kind of movement you know, now that I'm a yoga therapist, I've learned that movement is what we need in order to regulate our breath. And then when our breath is regulated, that's when our mind becomes regulated, meaning our mind isn't just spewing fear for us. Our mind is more in service of our hearts, if you will. So it's more presence centered, it's more body centered. And yeah, I just hadn't had that experience of my mind. And I was just a voracious learner and seeker. And I know you remember those times mm-hmm. because I just wanted to talk about it all the time. I, that's all I wanted to do with you is take you to yoga classes. I was just full of information about what I was learning about how the mind worked and thoughts. And and did you know that you don't actually have to believe your thoughts? And did you know that thoughts are just habits and they're this culmination of everything I've learned over the years and what the world has told me? Like this thought that I'm having about you, about what you're thinking, about what they're thinking, about what that boss was thinking, I didn't have to believe any of that. Whereas I thought all of those thoughts were like me. If I was having a thought, how could I not listen to it? Wasn't that my intuition? That's what I was convinced of. And then that was the total shift that happened because of those yoga rooms and the philosophy that I was hearing and then the reading that that opened up to me. So I'm forever grateful for those practices and where they came from and the teachers who who brought them over from India. And I, I just honor all of that and continue to. And What I'm really proud of when it comes to you is I wonder how that felt, you know, because let's face it, I went from like needing you to absolutely celebrating my own confidence and the fact that, and then I just started to really live, right? I wanted to go away by myself or go away with friends or drive by myself. Like there was just new confidence. There was this total renewal I felt so alive and so free for the first time after I, I continued to heal my nervous system that I went from really needing you, like deciding that I could actively choose you, which was so much more powerful. Like I think yeah. for me, for yeah. me, that's when our relationship became, started to become as strong it is, as it is now. I, I, I never actually thought about it in that context because I think that 
I don't think you or my perception of you needing me because of what you were going through defined our relationship for me anyway. I wasn't thinking that way. Um, the way I remember it, and you can correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I think that I've always thought that, or at least I think I've always said that, whatever you want to do, do it. Whatever you want to experience, go and experience. Yeah, you're an amazing cheerleader. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know that I, I there was a shift for me that was emotionally triggering then. I, I, I just started to see this evolution. In, in, and I think more importantly, I started to see you uh, strengthen yourself uh, against something that has had a negative effect on your life, not on mine. Um, but I, I, I have bore witness to how debilitating it had been for so many years. So to, to see you find something not only you're passionate about, but that is regulating this, I think was a huge relief for me more than anything. I think that living with anxiety affected our relationship in a really negative way. I think that all the stories that I had in my mind, they all had that same theme. And where you came to play is, you know, I, I really had myself convinced how, you know, that you were sort of emotionally checked out. Because isn't, it, isn't it interesting, though? Well, but isn't it interesting that the things that you fall in love with somebody for, mm -hmm. your, your grounded nature and the strong, silent type, after years and years together, it's like, wait a minute, yeah. you're emotionally withholding. So what yeah. was strong and silent is now emotionally withholding. But after <laughs> after really learning how to investigate my own thoughts and learning that it's what you think about somebody that is actually the most important thing, I recognize that I could choose not to think that because yes, you're different from me. Yes, you love differently than I do. You express yourself differently than I do. If you're just believing a thought pattern of this person is emotionally unavailable to me, rather than this person loves in a different way than I do, communicates in a different way than I do. What I remember is kind of proving that quote of change yourself, change the world, because mm -hmm. things had gotten hard. And I... I was a participant. Uh, I'm not saying that it wasn't both yeah. of us. Yep. Life was there. We had a little one. Work was stressful for you. Life was stressful for me. I think being a mom with a young one, when you start taking them into the school system, and if you do have anxious stuff, if you have stuff from high school, mom culture can be super anxiety inducing. And so yeah. I did, you know, that was, a, that was a challenging time for the two of us. But what I'm saying is it was so beautiful to be able to recognize that just because I'm having thoughts about you, those thoughts were already in me. You know, that again, that's a whole other show. Yeah. Those thoughts were already in me from my family of origin. And that's not who you were. So I was just able to see reality more than believe my past conditioning. And then, I mean, I just feel that that is what has created the most beautiful relationship. Like I really thank yoga for that too. And then I saw you become more of a seeker. And that's when you found, you know, your own path. And it wasn't ever necessarily yoga, but you got into more um, empowering philosophy and you started to, 
you know, understand um, how the mind worked and everything, just doing some corporate coaching, different from what I was doing, but same kind of concepts. And that was, that was really an exciting time. Yeah. Continues to be. And look where we are now. And look where we are now. I haven't had a panic attack. Uh, I don't remember the last one you had. I mean, I think it's been 20 years. Wow. If Yeah, it is amazing to be on the other side. And now I'm really passionate about meeting people who find themselves where I was, you know, just feeling so fearful and having those episodes be so life-altering. And one of the purposes of this podcast, why I wanted to do this in the first place is because anxiety is something that can be conquered. It absolutely can be. It's maybe not a quick fix. It takes different elements. It takes learning what supports your body from what you put into it to how you move to how you rest. Um, It takes learning about how you think and, and encouraging yourself to remember that you're stronger than you think you are. And it does take surrounding yourself with people who are as supportive as you were. So I, yeah, I'm so lucky that you came into my life and for sure it'll be, we're coming up on 24 years, be 25 in a couple of years. Of course, it's not been easy all of those years, right? But it's brought us to where we are now. And yeah, I love you more than than ever. (laughs) Feeling is mutual. I know. This is fun. I need more of this. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks for coming on, honey. Thanks again for listening to the Warrior to Warrior podcast. If you enjoyed it, please take a moment to give this podcast a five-star review. You can do that in the Apple Podcast app. It helps other people to find the show. Thank you so much.